Good evening. Did you guys all have a good Christmas? We're in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And as you're opening there, I'm going to pray again. Father, you are always speaking, but we are not always listening. But tonight, Lord, we are determining, we are disciplining ourselves to hear your voice in these scriptures. We are hungry and in need to hear what you have to say. And so as we go through these passages, may our hearts be open, may our ears strain to hear your voice through them, and may you inspire this time to make a difference in our life and in our relationship with you. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together and to be with the people we love and care for, to be able to sing songs that once again remind us of your faithful love and your goodness, your splendor, your majesty, and at the same time together be able to hear your voice. Move among us, we pray. And I do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Michael went through chapter 9, did an excellent job talking about how Saul went out looking for donkeys and ended up getting anointed uh, or called by Samuel and recognized that he was going to be the king. He talked about how we can very many times think of a lot less. He had no idea of what was in store for him. He was just looking for donkeys. And as Samuel prayed and heard from God that led him to Saul, we saw how the Lord was at work through Samuel's prayer, the incidents that happened. Uh, Michael told us about how he mistreated his mother when he was young and wouldn't kiss her uh, goodbye at school. Um, and those things, it was pretty funny. But here in chapter 10, we're continuing now with Samuel actually anointing Saul as king privately. Later on, there was going to be more of a public coronation. But let's read verses 1 through 8. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where 
there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Samuel puts oil on Saul. It is a symbol of his anointing, a symbol of God's spirit now being upon him. And he tells him that he is now going to be the ruler of this inheritance that God has. And he tells him there's going to be three signs that are going to come about. And he kind of prophesies, telling him, these three things are going to happen, and this is what you're going to do as these things happen. The first one, or someone's going to come up to you, tell you, hey, the donkeys are found. Your dad's not worried about them anymore, but he is concerned about you. Your father now wants to know, how are you? There's no more worry about these donkeys. The donkeys made it back safe and sound. That's done with. The next sign is going to be three men traveling who are going to give you some bread. They have bread and their wine. And it's interesting because they are coming down from worshiping God at Bethel or going up to worship God at Bethel. And as they're coming to this place of worship, you're going to encounter them. They're going to give you bread. Take the bread. And the final one, it's you're going to meet these prophets. And the spirit is going to come upon you. You will prophesy and be changed into a different person. Verse 6 and 7 struck me the most in this section of the passages. As the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Remember that before Christ came, there was a difference in how God Worked. Hebrews tells us that in previous times, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken us, to us through his son. That because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the ability for God to become closer to us has been opened up. At this time, the spirit would come upon them, but now the spirit is able to actually come Within them, Jesus said in John 14, verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And Jesus is saying he's with you now, which is what we see taking place with Saul. He, he's with you, but he will be in you. And it's talking about a more permanent residence, a more complete sacrifice, a more perfect sacrifice that is now able to not just cover our sin, but is able to take our sin away. But here we see a little glimpse of how God works. His spirit is going to come powerfully upon you. And as his spirit comes powerfully upon you, it says that you will prophesy with them. In other words, you're you're going to join into the proclaiming and this prophecy, and they don't give a whole lot of detail of what that looks like here. There's another example later that we'll look at, but right now it doesn't give you a whole lot of information. It just says you're going to 
have the Spirit come upon you powerfully. You're going to join them in prophesying. And then it says, and you will be changed into a different person. How many times do we desire to be changed into a different person? How many times have I through my life wanted to be a better person, a different person, a person that wasn't as selfish, a person that wasn't so corrupt, so deceitful, so envious, so covetous, so lustful, so hurtful, so... And you can go on and on and on. And how many times have I wanted to be changed into a different person? And what happens here to Saul is that before he can become and be changed into a different person, the Spirit has to come upon him. That there is a supernatural work of God that needs to take place for us to become different. And the same thing is true now after Christ. There has to be an eternal working of the Spirit of God to make us into different people. And what Jesus does and what the Spirit of God does is change who we are. At this time, they would be changed at the time as long as the Spirit was upon them. But now what happens is God changes the essence, the nature of who we are. Now, does that mean we still don't need to be changed time and time again? Does that mean, well, I've been changed in my essence, therefore I don't have any other problems. I don't covet anymore. I'm not envious. I'm not jealous. I'm not any of these bad things. No, it, it doesn't mean that. At least we all know that that's not the case. I think you all know that. And so what needs to happen? What has to continue so that we can continue this place and this life of change? There has to be a continuing pouring of the Spirit within our lives, a continual recognition of this work of God, prophesying, the proclaiming of God within our lives, because otherwise we will go back to being the other person. I'm not talking about the sense of salvation right now. I'm talking about the sense of character. I believe that when God changes our essence, he, he moves us into a place where we have assurance we belong to him. I don't know who belongs to him. God knows who belongs to him. That's not my job. God knows the inward parts of the heart. But what I do know from my own experience, and that's where I have to come from here in my relationship with God, I do know that even though my essence has been changed, that I still have the choice to do what I want, which is what we see 
taking place in verse 7. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. In other words, when the Spirit is upon him, when he is prophesying, proclaiming these things, do whatever you want because the hand of God is with you. But guess what happens when your mindset is changed and when you're not enveloped with the Spirit and working of God? You still do what you want, but the outcome is different. And that's going to happen with Saul. We're going to see how can this guy who is now anointed by God, who is now filled powerfully with the Spirit, who is now prophesying, is now in this place so close to God, how is it that he can grow distant? To answer that, I I ask myself, how do I move from places of being so close to God that I am just overwhelmed, I'm so filled with faith, I can believe God for anything? as I've seen him answer prayer and as I've been overwhelmed with his love or mercy or goodness, it moves me to tears, it moves me to my knees. I am broken, I am surrendered, and I am so close. And I think, I don't ever want this to end. And sometimes it doesn't take a day before I go back to this attitude and this blindness to the working of God. How does it happen? Like that. Like it does. I move from my mind of focused on God, prophesying, which means proclaiming the things of God, recognition of of the Spirit powerfully in my life, to this place where I say, okay, this is what I want. And I take all the things the power of God can be pushed aside by what I want to do. And that's a terrifying thing, but it's an empowering thing as we're going to see. Bless you. Because here he can do whatever he wants to because God is with him. Whatever you want to do, whatever your hand finds to do, God is with you. Think about that. Think about what you want to do. Think about if you're able to do anything as the work of God is upon you, what would you want to do? The the mindful things that God would want and you would want to be a part of, what are they? And God would say, whatever you want to put your hands to, you can do it. Jesus said, whatever you believe in faith, believe without doubting. You could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will be done for you. I mean, he goes to this place where he's just like, can you, you can't imagine the things that you could do if you just had this kind of faith and belief in God. That's empowering. But it's also a place of responsibility. And that's what we see Saul as he's told these things. He goes in verse 8, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Verse 9 says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. God changed 
Saul's heart. But notice, before God changed Saul's heart, Saul had to turn and leave. In other words, Saul was obedient to what Samuel said, and then God changed his heart. When we turn to do what God wants, God then comes and changes our hearts. God didn't just change his heart. Saul submitted himself to the plan of God, and then God did what Saul couldn't do. God does what we can't do. He changes who we are. There is a work of the Spirit in our lives once we surrender ourselves to him that belongs to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's a passage of Scripture, you're familiar with it. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So grace, you've been saved, and it's through faith. And this faith is not just by yourself. That's what he's talking about. And this is referring to faith. We are told that every man has been given by God a measure of faith. So this faith is an ability to understand the things of God. It's this ability that changes us or separates us from the animal world to who we are as human beings created in God's image. We've been given this gift of faith that's not from ourselves, it's from God. Not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why we're created, is to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are to do these things that God has for us to do. And what usually will take place here is we start getting very micromanaging, okay? We've been called to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for do, to do. And we start thinking very specifically that God has called us to do certain specific works, but it's not really saying God has called you to do, say, this, go to Mexico, or God has called you to be a missionary at this place, or God has called you to, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks of what you think that specific thing is. God has called you to do good works that he's planned for you to do. In other words, he has empowered you, changed you by his grace with the faith that he's given you that you would walk in this way that he has called you to do, to do these good works that he has for you to do. That's his purpose. And so God changes our heart for a purpose. God hasn't called you, hasn't poured grace upon you. Jesus didn't die just so you could go to heaven. Jesus died. God has given us faith so that we can do the good things that need to be done. So then... The question to us is, are we? Am I doing the good things that God has called me to do? Again, we want to micromanage and go to specifics. What are those good things? I don't know. It might be taking food to someone. 
It might be, even as I share it Sunday, my daughter, you know, taking all our cookies and giving them to the people who are living on the streets. It might be calling that person and reaching out to them who, who's hurting. It might be going and visiting that person who's in prison or the hospital. It might be going to Haiti or to Mexico or to wherever. It could be a number of things. There are so many good things that need to be done. And so it's not like, well, you have to be a king and you have to rule a nation. It might be you have to be a friend. It might be you have to be a better father, a better mother, a better husband, a better wife. It might be that you have to be a better friend. It might be that you have to be a better servant to someone or to God. It, it could be a number of things, but he has changed us for a purpose. And if you're not doing what you've been changed to do, you're going to find yourself becoming very frustrated and life will become very confusing. Have you ever had to work on something and didn't have the right tools? I used to work on my cars out of necessity because we couldn't afford not to. And I'd be there in our garage and I'd have the car lifted up and I'd be sitting there under the car trying to change out a clutch and pulling out the transmission. And if you don't have the right little tool that lines up the clutch plates with the transmission, you'll sit there and you'll try and put that transmission in until you you curse. <laughs> At least I did. I, I would be in Kareem, Kareem can vouch for that. She was in the house and the whole neighborhood heard me yelling at the transmission. Uh, you don't have the right tool, and so you just get frustrated because I just cannot do this. We find ourselves living a life that is frustrating because we've been called to do something, and we need this empowering and work of God's Spirit. We need this prophetic work, this proclamational work of God and interaction with us to be able to complete the things. And then when we try and just coast and we find ourselves tripping and falling and stumbling and being frustrated, pretty soon we find ourselves just aggravated and hating life because I know there's something more for me, but I just don't know how to accomplish it. Well, You've been saved for these good works, but it is by grace and it is through the faith that God gives you. If you are not abiding in Christ, you will not be producing this fruit. And it was the same thing that was taking place with Saul back here. As his heart was changed by God, we saw that there was now the possibility to actually be the king he was supposed to be. There was now actually the enabling by God to do what God had called him to do. And so imagine Saul. This is all happening in this short span of time. He's out looking for donkeys. 
And now the prophet says, you're going to be king. And he's like, what the heck? When is this going to happen? He gets anointed. Imagine what you'd be feeling with all this is happening. I'm going to be king. The, The man of God is anointing me with oil. This can't be right. No, this is right. You're going to go and these three things are going to happen. Okay, he starts going and they start happening. And then as he turns away, his heart is changed. I know, and I've shared this before, that what holds me to Christ isn't circumstances, isn't because things are good, isn't because I haven't had any struggles or don't have any lapses of faith. There's times I feel like I'm just hanging on to faith by a a strand of of thin hair. I mean, it's just like, God, this is all I can do to be here. But what keeps me from just saying, forget it, I'm going to chuck in the towel, I'm done with this, what keeps me from doing that is my heart was changed. I, I remember what it was like to not have life. I remember what it was like to not be alive. I can remember going to bed and just haunted by the emptiness in my own soul that just did not know life. And I can remember searching through different religions and meditations and mystical things and drugs and and all these things trying to just find this emptiness in my life. And I can remember almost accidentally coming to Christ and saying, this is real. This has substance. This now has changed my heart. Not just made me think different, not just made me feel better or numb. This has actually changed me and changed my heart. And that's what holds me. And something happens here to Saul. But again, what happens to Saul is just a a little fragment of what actually can happen to us in Christ. Because Christ is the perfect sacrifice where Saul had to deal with an imperfect sacrifice continually offered. And there was the inability for the indwelling of God's spirit as there is with us. And so in verse 10, when he had... He and his servant arrived at Gibeah. A procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had merely known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, like, is this who he is? It's out of place. We don't recognize him as that What's happening now? And the man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him, his servant, him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when he saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what the... What Samuel said to you, Saul replied, 
He assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. This is interesting to me. Okay, what is going on in Saul's mind? He he's just had this change of heart. He's out with the prophets who are have these minstrels singing and dancing, and he's prophesying and doing something that's wild and crazy. In fact, we got to go here because you know it, it just sounds like what is this prophesying thing that's going on? Turn to First uh, Samuel chapter nineteen. Go a little bit further because there's another incident. That's just bizarre. And I'm hoping Michael will have to touch on this one when we get there because that would be fun to watch him figure it out. Verse 23, chapter 19, verse 23. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why the people say, is Saul also among the prophets? So they're still saying it, you know. Is this what the prophets do? <laughs> lay naked on the ground? I mean, it's just this kind of wild, unreal thing. It's like, what the heck is going on? And I'm not going to talk about that passage. I'm just telling you, something crazy happened where Saul was just involved with this. And then he goes back up. I just imagine he's shell-shocked. I've just been with the prophets. I've been prophesying. I just had the Spirit of God come. I've had this change of heart. And he goes back to his uncle. And the uncle, where were you? We were looking for donkeys. And we went to Samuel and he told, what did Samuel say? He said, the donkeys are okay. He didn't tell him the fact that he's, I'm going to be king. He didn't say, well, listen, I'm now king. One day you're going to be bowing down and worship me. He, he didn't go there, which I think is kind of cool. Remember Joseph when he had the dreams? And he'd go to his brothers, I had this dream. There were these stars, but there was a greater star and they all bowed and worshiped me. And he told his dad, yeah, I'm going to be the one and you guys are all going to bow. He had no problem telling them about how he was going to be exalted. Not Saul. He's like, uh-uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. This is still overwhelming. I don't know how to respond to this. Had an instant incident happen recently with one of my boys where he told me of this event that happened in his life where God spoke really clearly to him. He didn't tell me at the time it happened because it frightened him. But probably about a month or so after the incident, he shared it with me, and it was almost prophetical in what God was speaking to him to where he was at a month later. And, and as he was talking to me, I, I get this sense where he was just like, when it happened, is like, I can't tell anyone that the living God spoke to me and said these things to me because I don't know how people will take it. But after these incidents happened, he was able to come back and say, I had this happen to me where God spoke to me and said this. And now it makes sense. Now I understand. I, I couldn't talk about it before because it would just seem weird. They'd want to, you know, 
get me a psychiatrist, psychiatric evaluation. Anyone send me to speech class? No. uh, I imagine that Saul was overwhelmed and just couldn't go there. Not yet. Not yet. And so he didn't tell him about the kingship. In verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzvah. So this is that time later. He told them he had to wait for him there. And asked them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you but you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your distresses and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And so Samuel's kind of rubbing it in their face again. Okay, you guys, God has done this. That wasn't enough. You asked for more. You wanted more than what God was offering. You weren't satisfied with the things that God said, even though he delivered you from Egypt, even though he's done these things, you've rejected him who saves you from all your disasters and calamities. And again, that's kind of a terrible thing to say, but it's a true thing to say. You know, God has delivered me time and time again but I still, at times, am very faithless, very doubting, very worried about things, very consumed. And my trust in God goes way down, even though he's done so much for me. And and people are just like that. We are all like that. And so he kind of lays out, this is what's going on, guys. God has provided for you, but you wanted more. And so I'm going to present this king to you. So get the tribes and set them aside by the clans. Verse 20, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin or the clan by clan and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, He has hidden himself among the supplies. So God ratted on Saul. So yeah, he's over there in the supplies. Now, Saul is out there hiding. Why do you think he was hiding? What do you, I mean, it doesn't tell us. Why do you think he was hiding? Scared? Wasn't ready for it? Overwhelmed, overwhelmed, modest, shy, didn't believe it's really happening, didn't want the spotlight. It's kind of a neat characteristic. I mean, here is this guy who's told, you're going to be the king, and he's like, I ain't ready for this. I'm hiding. It's like, I don't want the limelight. I don't want the spotlight. I'm, I'm hoping it'll just passed me by. Ah, I guess he's not here. Okay, forget it. Let's get someone else. You know, what what was he thinking? He was just wasn't ready for this. And I think that's just a very humble thing. I mean, it says of Jesus, though he were God, 
he did not think his right to act as God was something he needed to try and hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself and became a servant in the form of a man, lowering himself even lower than the angels for the suffering of death. I mean, he emptied himself, did not think, I need to make a name for myself. And Saul is in this place where he's like, no, not me, it's not me. But God ratted him out. He's, He's over there, go get him. He's in the supplies. And so they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. An interesting thing that takes place here with Saul. They see his stature and he is heads above everyone else. Michael mentioned it too that, you know, in the time where the Philistines had these giants, they wanted someone who at least looked big. And so here was this guy. Oh, he's striking. He's a tall man. He has the appearance of a king, and that's what they wanted. Later on with David, God would say, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And so while they were captured by his stature and his physical presence, what really was going to matter was who he was and his character and his heart. And right now, he is filled with the Spirit, his heart has been changed, and he is the man for the job. There is no one like him among all the people. Then all the people said, long live the king. Verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. They hadn't had a king. Here's what the king does. Now remember at this time they had now three positions. They had the king, they had the prophets, and they had the priests. No one person was supposed to be all three. You had your priests, they were from a certain lineage. You had the prophets, they had a certain function. And you had now the king who had his role. They each had to be specific in these roles and no man could have all three because there would later be one man who did. That would be Jesus, who was the priest, the prophet, and the king. In fact, the wise men, when they came and they gave their gifts, gold was that of a, a king, frankincense was that of worship and that of the priests, and then the myrrh was actually an embalming, which would be that of a martyred prophet. And so even in his birth, he was given these things that proved his place as all three of these, as the king, as the prophet, and as a priest. And so Samuel goes and explains the kingship. He wrote them, down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own houses. And I think it's interesting, the prophet dismissed them. What's Saul doing at this time? Saul's like the dumb, you know, he's like the lame duck. He's just like, I don't know what's going on. You know, he's just there. In fact, we're going to read, he's just going to go back to his house. What am I supposed to, I don't know. I don't know what a king's supposed to do the first time. And so Samuel has to list it out. The king doesn't get to do this, but he does have this responsibility. And so now it's laid out. In verse 26, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. 
accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God has touched. So some people are like, oh, this is a great moment. God has touched their hearts and they're going back with the king. We're going to be supportive of him. We're going to go back and, and take care of him. We're going to be his servants. We recognize his rule now. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, which means others were giving him gifts. He was now being given gifts, but these other guys, we're not going to give him anything. And what's Saul's reaction to these guys who are scoundrels, who are despising, not giving him anything? He kept silent. He didn't react. He didn't respond. He just kept silent. What a, a crazy couple of weeks in this man Saul's life. Looking for donkeys that got away, and now I'm king over Israel. Oh, my gosh. And, and what I wonder, just as I was looking at this, I, I wonder, kind of piggybacking on the things that Michael was talking about, how we are looking for this, but God has something greater planned for us. And what happened to Saul is the idea of this thing was fearful to be the king. I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. And I really believe that unless we're living lives that are terrified of what is before us, we're probably not living in faith. And we don't like to go there. We want to go to places of comfort. I want stability. I want things to be easy. And God is pushing us to a place that is terrifying. And I would never have wanted to go through the things that I have gone through in my life as a follower of Christ. I would never have wanted other people, even my kids, to experience some of the things that I've had to experience as a follower of Christ. Some of the hurts, some of the things that I've done that have hurt people, some of the betrayal that I've experienced, some of the, the trials and difficulties that sometimes I feel I was almost just pushed into. I, I didn't want this for myself. God, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is terrifying. And yet, that's exactly where I needed to go into that place that was terrifying, into that place that was fearful, into that place that I was uncertain. What about faith is certain? What about faith gives us an idea of security? The idea of faith is that which we do not know, which is not yet tangible, but what we believe in, what we trust in. Faith is stepping out when we don't see where we're going. It's believing God even though it is just terrifying and I think those are the kinds of things that we have to recognize if God is going to take us to a place that is closer to himself and is a place that is bigger than ourselves a place where we are going to be able to do more than we naturally would think we could do then it's going to be stepping into a place that is terrifying but necessary. And God took Saul to that place.
he led them to that place where now Saul is the king, the first king of Israel. And he is terrified. It is not what he expected. It is bigger than what he expected. But with the change of heart and them running out and finding him and putting him up there, which sometimes God does. I'm going to hide. No, you're not. Get up here. But I don't want this. No, you're, this is how it's going to work. And the events transpire where now you find yourself at the edge of the cliff and you have to make the choice. What do I do? You know, if you don't take that step, you may never fly. You may never know what it's like to really experience all that God has for you unless you're willing to take a step of faith. The sacrifice of your comfort of what you want for the things that God wants. And the miraculous always requires sacrifice. And so what is the miracle you want in your life? If you're thinking the miracle I want in my life is for this in a situation, maybe usually it's relational. The miracle I want and the miracle that I'm talking about are, that's connected to God is always for a benefit of others. We've talked about good works. So it's not like the miracle I want is that raise. Yes, I, I know I'll never get it. Well, that's, that's not the good works, that the miracle that God is going to, to give you. The miracle that God is going to give you, it's going to move through a place of sacrifice. And so you want to see perhaps the gospel go to these people. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's a country. Maybe it's something. I want to see this message of Jesus go to these people. Well, the way it's going to go through that people is going to be through you and through a sacrifice that you make. And then it's going to be empowered by God. Maybe it's in a relational aspect. You know, I, I've got this situation that's happening relationally with me and my kids or, or someone in my family. And the way I want to see it restored is going to go through a place of sacrifice where I have to give of myself to trust God for what I don't see and believe him to do what only he can do. Because God still does the miraculous, but it always goes through sacrifice. And it's never been easy. And it's never something that doesn't terrify me. And I resist and I resist and I resist and I surrender and then I say, oh, you did it. Then I feel bad because I knew you could do it, but I just doubt it. But for God to take us to the miraculous, it's going to be through the sacrifice. For God to take us to that place where he has the good works planned for us, for Saul to get to this place of kingship, it had to go through this terrifying experience, this change of heart, this surrender to the will of God, which is something that we always have to do. Okay. Any thoughts on this chapter or questions that stand out or maybe jump out from this passage to you? 
I know I didn't ask a lot of questions through this one. Yeah. No, God had planned for there to be a king, but it was a little premature at this point for them in their history. So, yeah, and there, this, this was new. That's why Samuel had to write out, this is what the king's duties are, responsibilities. It's amazing that Samuel did that. No, he, at some point he did, because they had talked about them being a king one day, and Jesus was going to be king. Um even before that, there was allusions to kings when there was going to be a king, but it it seemed premature in this way, um, just in how it came about. It was definitely motivated by the other nations, it says. So, Any other questions? Yeah, God is always working things. I like in Isaiah when it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, you know, it's like, he died, oh no, oh wait, there's still someone on the throne, you know, and so the one who, because Uzziah was a good king, and when he died, oh no, a good king died, oh wait, there's still someone on the throne, and his train fills the temple, and he's high and lifted up, you know, so very cool. Other questions? Sorry, I should have asked more questions during it, but well, let's pray. Father, I again ask, Lord, that through the things that we've read, through the things that I've shared, that it would be food for our souls, Lord, that we would be able to take from some of these things, things that would be lasting, and that you would move us from a place of security and selfishness to a place of good works, good deeds, a place of faith and and risk for your sake and not limit what you want to do in and through us right where we're at. And Father, I, I don't believe Saul had any idea what was going to be happening. And yet you are the one who orchestrated these things and he finds himself now the king of a nation. And Lord, this happened in just over a week's time. Lord, where can we be in just over a week's time if we would truly be people of faith that lived for you, trusted in you, and allowed the change of our hearts to fully take place, where would we be? Lord, I want to know. I want that kind of a change. I want it to be continuous and lasting. So forgive me for my lack of faith, Lord. Forgive me for my laziness, for my selfishness, for my eyes that only see the situation and don't see you. And help me, Father, to be someone who doesn't limit you, 
but who does the good that helps others to see you. Lord, may I be willing to give of myself and sacrifice for the things that you have for us, for me. And I do thank you for this time, for your words. In Jesus' name, amen.